I always tell people, if you care about the violence of policing, then you should want as little policing as possible in any form. Hello, and welcome to Small Black Birds. I'm AJ. Imagine a world without police and prisons, where instead of wasting more money on reforming corrupt police departments and building overcrowded prisons, we target the root causes of crime and harm by empowering communities to meet their housing, healthcare, food, and transportation needs. Now imagine living in a place where help is available when it's needed and no one is treated as disposable. Sounds like a fantasy, right? Prison abolitionists like Miriam Kaba are spearheading a movement to make it a reality. By rejecting institutions that are rooted in oppression and violence, Prison Industrial Complex, or PIC abolitionists, envision a restructured society in which policing and rising incarceration rates are replaced with more humane systems that address the conditions that can lead to harm. When we talk about Prison Industrial Complex abolition, we're talking about a dual project. We're talking at the one hand, a project that is about dismantling death-making institutions like policing and prisons and surveillance and creating life-affirming ones, putting resources and investing in the things we know do keep people safe, housing, healthcare, schooling, all kinds of other things, you know, living wages. Those types of investments are what really actually keep people safe. So that's what PIC abolition is really about at its core. As the world watched the video of a Minneapolis police officer pressing his knee into George Floyd's neck for eight minutes and 46 seconds, it was the tragic but logical result of how policing works in America. Police departments across the country develop and use training programs with names like Killology and Bulletproof that focus on the officer's perception of fear rather than de-escalation techniques. In other words, if an officer feels threatened, regardless if the threat is real or not, that sensation of fear can be used to justify their deadly actions. Fear was the reason given by the officer who shot and killed an unarmed 18-year-old Michael Brown in Ferguson, Missouri, and why the officer in Kenosha, Wisconsin, who shot Jacob Blake seven times in the back, faces no criminal charges. That's why it's important to put the movement for Black lives that's currently been ha that continues to happen right now in its proper context. It's only part of a long freedom struggle that has gone on in this country for as long as Black people have been here. For years, activists working with departments to reform policing have been met with fierce resistance by powerful police unions. In Minneapolis, for example, numerous waves of reform began as early as the 1920s, and over the years the city's police department gradually adopted practices to reduce police brutality. But what good did the reforms do when the officer who killed Floyd was still on active duty despite 17 misconduct complaints over two decades? For many police reform advocates, Floyd's murder proved that their efforts had been for nothing. The fact that so many people around the country recognize the complete and utter failures and limits of so-called reform to actually do what people want, which is to have some little modicum of justice. So I think people are impatient with incrementalism and are impatient with solutions that don't actually address the root causes of violence. And part of that is the fact that policing is inherently violent. And the starting point has to be to actually reduce people's contact with the police altogether. 
The U.S. has the highest incarceration rate in the world. One person is sentenced to state or federal prison every 90 seconds. That's over 400,000 people a year. And the business of prison is booming. The price tag for all those arrests and incarcerations costs state and local governments over $200 billion every year. That's taxpayer money that could be better spent preparing for the next pandemic or economic downturn. We have been conditioned to believe that police fight crime by catching the bad guys, but facts and history tell a different story. First of all, the police don't do what you think they do. Police departments aren't set up to do crime prevention, and they spend most of their time responding to noise complaints, issuing parking and traffic citations, and dealing with other non-criminal issues. Less than 5% of arrests nationally are for violent crimes. Increasing rates of incarceration have minimal impact on crime rates and ignores the obvious connection between lack of opportunity or access to jobs and education with arrests. And of course, the racist origins of policing and prisons can't be overlooked. This is why you can't talk about incarceration, criminalization in this country without understanding the history of blackness and black people in this country. Over the years, prisons have been spaces where we've sent the people we don't like or the people we want to manage and control socially. Before the Civil War, most people who were locked up were not actually black people because almost every black person in the country was enslaved. Immediately after emancipation, all of a sudden, the literally complexion of prisons change. And Black people become kind of hyper-targets of that system. And the reason to talk about that history is also to demystify for people how and why people ended up behind bars initially. That it wasn't really about real crime, but it was about a perception of Blacks as inherently criminal in order to continue to control Blacks who people thought after enslavement actually didn't have a right to be free. Um, And so the prison became a site for continuing to control Blackness. For Kaba, who is a longtime community organizer and educator, PIC abolition combines a bold vision of a restructured society with practical ways for reducing harm. She doesn't just advocate to close police departments, but wants to make them obsolete by redirecting the billions of dollars that now go to police and prisons toward things that improve people's lives and reduce crime like healthcare, housing, education, and good jobs. It's about addressing the root causes of harm, not just responding to it after it already happened. In terms of specific tasks police do right now, PIC abolitionists support creating mobile crisis response units, as they already have in Oregon, that deploy teams of specialists trained in mental health counseling, social work, and crisis de-escalation. They demand less interaction with the police by removing officers from our nation's schools and the use of unarmed traffic patrols like they use in the UK and other countries. And instead of throwing more people in prisons, they want to use restorative justice models that are based on accountability and healing rather than only punishment. Organizers, since May of 2020, since George Floyd's killing, have actually worked to secure divestment of nearly a billion dollars from police departments around the country. And they've secured investments of at least almost $200 million in communities towards life-affirming and life-giving institutions. Over 25 cities canceled contracts with local police departments who are operating in schools 
which also has saved an additional almost $40 million to be invested in student, family, and community supports and restorative justice. Thank you for listening to this episode of Small Black Birds. The pandemic has laid bare how vulnerable and ineffective many of our current systems are, but it also offers a window to restructure society with new systems that respond to people's needs. One thing that became clearer to more people during the pandemic is how interconnected we all are. The things that happen to other people impact us. Almost overnight, thousands of mutual aid and other community-led networks began filling in the gaps left by the government's failed response to the pandemic. And that's the other critical component of the work Kaba and other PIC activists do, and is the focus of the next episode, We Keep Each Other Safe, Part 2. Did I get this story right? Let me know at smallblackbirdspodcast at gmail.com. Want to protect your right to protest? Go to www.rightsanddissent.org. Stay safe and talk with you soon. You got a warrant, I guess you're gonna come in. Over trying